Welcome to episode 127 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco, and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And this is a resumption of normal service, because uh, if if you've been uh, following us before, we had a series of episodes with comedians from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which are all sort of shorter, 20-minute, 30-minute episodes uh, about, you know, how they plan and write their stand-up shows and things like that, which uh, I think went down really well, I'm pleased to say, with people. so if you to to as well. Yeah, they, they were fun to record, obviously very funny guests. And if you haven't listened to those yet, um, please, please do give them a listen. But we are, as I say, back to normal service today with a brilliant author. Yeah, this week we're chatting with the wonderful Adam Simcox, who um, you might know from his books uh, in the Dying Squad series. His latest one is out uh, at time of recording, actually, today, The Generation Killer. Um, and he's had a really interesting route in, you know, he he was a, um, he worked in films, commercials, uh, a lawyer who then did the kind of traditional um long approach to try and get his books his books out there and it's he's got some good some good stories and good tips yeah i mean he 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 sold his first film to netflix and stuff as he talks to us about um but uh, yeah wanted to get into into novel writing and he's got a quite a unique way using that that film experience in terms of how he'll plan out his books and things like that so yeah it's a really interesting chat that we have with him and Talking about that submission process that he went through, which is what a lot of um, authors go through and it can seem never ending, etc. And, you know, I think it's quite encouraging to hear, yeah, having gone through that process, where he is now in terms of his writing career. Yeah, totally. I think it's, we've chatted to quite a lot of folk in the past who have kind of had quirky ways in or known people, etc. But it's quite mm. nice to chat to someone who actually just did it the old fashioned way of just sending out submissions one after the other and uh, and finally finding someone and writing a number of books before he he, he found that that book that was the one that finally yeah. clicked with someone so it's 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 a long a long process for him but it's it's nice to hear that if you if you if you stick at it you know that it is worth it in the end yeah absolutely so uh, we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest but for now on with the podcast The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. 
or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. My usual starting question is, did you always want to be a writer? But I know that you, like us, suffered through the law first before before you turned to writing. <laughs> it's very true. Good research. Yeah, I did. I did. Because I didn't know I didn't know what to do. And like writing, I come from like rural Lincolnshire. Where it's like, you know, there weren't pavements or street lights. <laughs> <laughs> People always think I'm joking when I say this. It's, it's honestly true. Like I, I come from like a village of two hundred people. So, you know, writing was just a job that existed but I didn't know any writers Mm -hmm. you know growing Mm -hmm. up it was just this impossible kind of vague thing so I did law at uni because it sounded like a good degree to have and it's proved to be but writing kind of came later I think the first thing I can remember writing was um I used to like I used to love comics I I used to draw and write my own comics they were not classics (laughs) gentlemen <laughs> i will not be digging them out <laughs> after my 10th book and i've run out of ideas well maybe i will after i've run out of ideas but it kind of it gives you it gave me like the little thing of like a beginning middle and an end and i always loved writing i mean i it was one of the things i, I considered myself good at school i guess english mm-hmm. which is the so little creative writing in english at school but um it was something I, I guess i considered i was decent at but it was a lot longer until i actually came to it I, I'm, I'm very aware how lame an answer that is because I, <laughs> I listened to last week when you asked Chris Whitaker that question. Oh, but he's it's got like, such a crazy man. That is an origin story. Yeah, no. that is an origin. It's, it's hard to top that one. I, I, but, I kind of thought maybe I should make something up, but yeah, that is unfortunately. <laughs> but then after that, you went. So, did you ever practice law? Or did you go straight back? You didn't did a master's in TV and documentary production after that. Is that yeah. Right? So no, I didn't. I did a lot of travelling. And I did legal jobs when I was traveling mm-hmm. and I came back for a year after all my traveling and I worked at a law firm and they would have paid for me to kind of uh, do my articles and get fully qualified. And that was the point where I just thought, man, it's just, it's just not, not for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. a great profession, but I kind of the regiment regimented aspect of it. And um, I, yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't for me. Yeah, not that I'm dissing your guys' profession. No, no, it's not for us either. Don't worry. Don't worry, I diss it all the time. <laughs> in fact, I've, I've sort of taken at least one step out of it. So, Mark, yeah. Yeah, Mark's got one one foot free already. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so w- when you when you did the, you turned to the masters in in TV and documentary production, mm. w- w- you know what was it that that drew you to that? I suppose. Well, I I went. I spent a year in Canada. Um, working and like traveling around 
and I lived in Vancouver and it was in, I guess that would have been like 98, 99. And like, there's so much film production yeah. certainly went on then in kind of the early film X-Files there. They filmed loads of things. And so you come out, come out your apartment, walk down the street and they'd just be sectioned off making a film. And I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And I found it kind of really quite addictive. And so I, I kind of, they, they needed extras all the time for these, for these things. So I kind of registered to be an extra and that kind of led to me doing an acting class. I really enjoyed it. Um, and you ever in com- anything famous? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I was any good. <laughs> um, but it, it, it gave me the bug, and that kind of led to me writing my own scripts, um, starting writing my own scripts, which then kind of led to me making films. And it all kind of, it does never seems like it at the time, but each of those things is a little stepping stone to take mm-hmm. you to the next bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, am I right in saying you wrote your first film script during that, that well, or you, when you were doing your master's, did you write your first script? I did, yeah, I did. Because, I mean, it was like, it was a small, it was a small like cohort of us. I think it was like 20 of us um, from people, um, people all over the world. So it's really good. And so I wrote a script because I knew, I knew there'd be a, a downtime period of a month mm-hmm. when all this equipment wouldn't be used between us finishing and the next lot of students getting there so I kind of got permission to use it and I you and I kind of uh, like crewed it from people on the course like oh cool amazing cameraman who's gone on to work on loads of top shows um a girl turned out to be a one of BAFTA for producing um always fill these things with people more talented than you guys (laughs) really pays off and so yeah then we we shot that in that summer um, it was called The Superhero. It's sort of like a very, very low budget vigilante film set in Manchester. Um, but it was a mixture of animation and live action. Um, so yeah, that was that was the first. And it was it was a painful process because my mate, who's a top editor now, he was doing all the animation. And his girlfriend at the time, she was she was doing all the artwork for it. And obviously they got jobs. So they had to they had to do things in between doing this animation. So it took several years to do it, took several years to finish. But it was a brilliant lesson because I did finish it. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important yeah. on your first thing. It's yeah. like that psychological thing of finishing it, no matter what happens um, from that point on. It's like right, writing a book. Finishing that first book, no matter how shitty it is, is really, really important. And did you... Did you uh... You know, the the course, the master's in TV and documentary mm. production, but had you done any sort of writing course or anything like that? Or did you just pick up the, the script writing no. from, from your experiences? I did one later. I did one later, but no, I didn't do any writing. I, I'd started writing scripts before that, to be honest. And um, when I was traveling around Australia, I kind of started then. So I think it was probably the third script I'd written but it was the first one I really did anything with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I don't, I'd, I'd made enough mistakes in the first two to kind of get it semi coherent. And I mean, with that first film, although I, I kind of wince at a lot of it, certainly in a writing sense now, it, it actually had like some moderate success. I mean, we, we sold it to Netflix. Well, that's, and like, that's amazing. 
Well, I mean, it is, but it, I mean, it meant nothing at the time because when we sold it to Netflix, it's what they weren't like this behemoth they yeah. are now. Yeah, yeah. It was like they were basically a startup, so they just they take any old shit. I mean, if you had a good cat <laughs> video, they take that. <laughs> so it's it on was, Netflix. Can we can we can we find it? It's not on in the UK. It's on in the US. Okay, and it's okay. on What's Prime. It it's on the on Prime in the UK. It's on Prime in the UK. What's it called? Uh, the superhero, the superhero, right? Okay, that's that's very yeah. exciting. I didn't I didn't realize it was actually available to watch. Yeah, it causes it causes me physical pain to watch. It. <laughs> <laughs> but it all they all they all take you to the next all step. They all take you to the next step. And 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 so so looking at everything in in the round, you know, the course, um, writing the script, shooting the film, selling. Mm. You know, what 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 lessons did you learn from all of that, which you've kind of taken with you now? The. <laughs> I think the two lessons, one was it's really important, and this is proved to be with uh, writing novels as well, it's really important to kind of surround yourself with people that are going through the same thing. It really helps a lot. And these are people that you, you know, will probably collaborate with later in life. Yeah. So the the course, bearing in mind, you know, law was my first uh, kind of degree in which I had no kindred spirits there at all. Suddenly I was surrounded by kindred spirits mm-hmm. doing the MA. And that's kind of like a little foretaste of like working in an industry with those people that was vital. And like those friendships and kind of relationships endure. Um, The second thing is to try and enjoy it, try and enjoy each step, which I definitely didn't with a superhero to me that it was kind of a failure because it won. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, which is on me Two, It didn't get into like the really top tier festivals. You know, and so this thing of like it's selling abroad, even though, you know, Netflix wasn't that big a deal at the time. That was something I should have enjoyed a lot more. So I've got better at that as I've got older, just enjoying, enjoying it more. And and when you're writing scripts or now novels as well, um, you know, what is what is the what is the process? What do you start with? Do you start with an idea? Do you are you a planner, your pants or how do you go about it? It honestly changes from, I'm, I'm, on the whole, I'm a pantser. So certainly with novels, um, they've pretty much all been uh, pantsing because I kind of want, the, the exciting bit to me is you sit down at like 10 o'clock or whatever and when you get up, you've got something new and it's gone in a different way you didn't expect it to. Yeah, I think they're the really good bits as well in the, in terms of if you're a reader, they come mm-hmm. across as the, the best bits. Yep. And certainly with twists, I, I found the best twists are the ones that surprised me. If they surprise me when I'm writing it, they'll probably surprise um, reader. But honestly, like I've I've changed my process a little bit, so I'm in a little bit of a holding pattern at the moment. In that, I've I've delivered the third book in the Dying Squad series. I've written what is potentially be the fourth book, which will be something different. So I've got some downtime. I've had mm-hmm. a couple of vague ideas, and so I've actually written them as scripts. Right. It's the first time I've sat down to write a script for a long, long time. Um, and it's actually, if, you, if you're not under a massive pressure of time, it's actually a really good way of doing it because you're essentially writing yourself a really detailed plan mm-hmm. with all the dialogue you're going to use and you're stress testing it structurally to see what works, what doesn't. And this thing I'm working on at the moment, God, it's awful. And I just think these, these, these four bits just don't work. But it's so much better to kind of find that out early, and so you can kind of think your way around it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't work like that every time, yeah. But it has been good to freshen it up a little bit. That's really interesting. I've never ever thought about writing an idea out as a in script form to then potentially 
turn into book form. But I quite like that idea. I guess I see exactly what, what you mean. You can kind of get that truncated 200 pages worth of whatever and to yeah. see how it, how it flows. And if there's, and obviously you'll embellish it and stuff for the novel, but yeah, there's a bare bones kind of structure of it all. Yeah, I like that. And you still get that kind of surprise element as you're writing it because, and also I find famous scripts, they're quite quick. You can get through them in a couple of days or a, week, or a few weeks, whatever, compared to, you know, a year for a film. But you can, you can really get, you can get it quite quickly. It's, it's quite nice. Definitely. Yeah. It's a lot more streamlined. It's a lot less intimidating, I think, mm-hmm. writing a script than writing a book. And as you say, like it's, yeah, all the big beats are still in there. You you do kind of flesh it out more in a novel. I don't think I want to do it on everyone because I think it would, it would make writing a novel sometimes feel a little bit mature. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you've kind of well, had the yeah. exciting bit of the idea in it. But for this, I think it's worked well. Um, and also, like, there's a little slightly cynical side from my point of view to say I, I want a couple of spec scripts so that, say, this fourth book, something happens with it, the TV and film rights, it gets optioned. I want a couple of things to be able to show any product, potential production. Yeah, yeah. Saying, I'd like a crack at doing this. They could very easily just tell me to jog on. But <laughs> at least if you've got something... <laughs> You've got something in your back pocket to show them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so uh, that's a good time to ask about the the move that you made into um, into novel writing, and the first first published novel was Dying Squad. Um, yeah. First of all, before we talk about that and the process and everything, do you want to just summarise the the plot for for listeners? Sure. Yeah. Um, the Dying Squad are a spectral police force that solve crimes that the flesh and blood police can't. So the first book in the series um, is stars Joe Lazarus, who starts um, starts the book by finding out finding his own dead body. So he has to effectively investigate his own murder um, with his his psychic Daisy May. And then the second book in the series, which comes out on August the eighteenth, is the Generation Killer, where Joe has to hunt down uh, a serial killer in Manchester that murders the youngest member of the family as well as the oldest. Nice. So it's, it's a sort of hook that yeah. investigating your own murder. I like that. Yeah, it helped, It definitely helped in terms of getting an agent and getting a deal. If, you, if, you, if you've got like a hook you can say in a sentence, mm-hmm. which sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's really hard to come up with that. Yeah. But on that one, I did fluke, fluke it. Well, I mean, oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, because I think, I think, talking about hooking an agent i think you'd written three novels before that which you'd tried to find an agent but hadn't managed mm-hmm. to find one so i mean what what i would ask about was you know how did you keep going at that point in terms of writing novels did you think of going pivoting back towards the sort of film and tv world at that point or did you think no novels is is the way to go and just keep plugging away at that i think that um in fer- in terms of like film and TV, like my my day job is kind of like commercial work, corporate films, that sort of thing, and it's brilliant in that it kind of gave me a good livelihood and it also gave me time to write. But it wasn't something I felt like I, I'm I've you know I've said this before on stuff. I I, I needed the recognition, and mm-hmm. I, I needed someone to say mm-hmm. this is good. Uh, we're gonna do something with this. We you know I believe in you, sort of thing that's where I kind of one of the reasons I transitioned to novels because when you're making a low budget film, I mean, it's, it's so dependent on so many other factors. It's like, you know, the standard, the actors you can get, whether the sound guy's going to turn up, 
the pizza is going to turn up and it doesn't and everyone's pissed off in the afternoon. I mean, it's so, it's so resistant to so many factors. Whereas writing a novel, it's on you yeah. for better or worse. And I, I just, yeah, I needed someone to pick it up and say, it's really good. Um, it was difficult. I mean, I, I wrote the first book novel and that was enough of a buzz just to, finished it and I had I I worked with an agent for a little bit on it but it didn't really work out the second book I wrote while I was studying on the Curtis Brown creative course which was the writing Mm -hmm. the only writing course I've taken which was excellent I mean it's really good I I recommend it to a lot of people it was a six-month course and that was another really good example of you surrounded by your peers Mm -hmm. or trying to do the same thing um a couple have become very good friends and they kind of see early stuff um but yeah well, i mean was that was that the because curtis brown the offer of a right of course is some online some in person was that the in-person yeah. one it was the in-person yeah. one yeah it was it was a six-month one mm-hmm. where you go into the offices um which i live in london which obviously makes that a lot easier and it was it was before covid and stuff but i mean i loved it and it, every every time i went i felt a little bit nervous because you know you feel like you're on show you, you're yeah. kind of showing your work mm-hmm. to people and that's really good. It's a re- it's good to be nervous. It's good to be taken out your comfort zone yeah. now and again, yeah. particularly with writing because it is so solitary and like, you know, you're not getting feedback a lot of the time. And you're in in, in a big agency, which is another benefit of that course. I'm sure a lot of people do it. Um, but yeah, I, I wrote a second book then and I was convinced it was going to be it. I mean, I've never believed in anything I'd done before. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the, the kind of people who ran the course were kind of champions for it with, with agents in their uh, agency. But ultimately, it didn't get picked up. I mean, I, I must have got like close to 60 rejections on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I really sympathize with anyone that's listening to this that's in the rejection trenches because I've been there and there's no easy fix on it it's why it's so difficult because you kind of have to pick yourself up and write something new. I kind of compared it to like getting ditched on your wedding day and then going on a Tinder date the same evening <laughs> in terms of like, you're having to write something new when you're still in love with the last thing and you can't quite let it go, but you, you've got to let it go for now because like the market has spoken and mm-hmm. no one, no one wants it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no quick fix. There's no easy one. And it's with when I wrote the Dying Squad, it wasn't like I thought this is it. They'll definitely go for this. I knew, I knew it was pitchable, so I knew I stood a chance yeah. on that. But it's so much down to luck. Mm-hmm. It could just you, you want to hit the agent when they, that's what they're looking for at that moment. And they may have had a conversation with an editor a few days before, and they know they're looking for something like that. The only way to get that look is just to stay in the game, as difficult as that can be. And did you ever think about saying, you know, especially when you got book three and you get nowhere with it, thinking, you know what, these these are good books. I'm just going to put it out there myself and put it on the Kindle store, etc. Was that a route you wanted to go down, or did you, did you want that kind of validation uh, I externally? Need, yeah, I needed the validation. I th- I think if I hadn't effectively been doing that with the films, because I I wrote I directed two more after the superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, if I hadn't done that, I probably would have been tempted. And you can definitely make a good living um, uh, at self-publishing if you put the money and time into advertising and all that sort of thing. You definitely can. Um, but yeah, it wasn't what I needed out of it. I needed that validation. Yeah. And can you, 
you know, as you sit there now with the the fourth book in this series written and all this sort of thing, can you pinpoint what it is about this series and, and these books that that have attracted an agent and have attracted publishers and the ones before, for example, that second one that you thought was good and thought was going to be picked up. Do you know in yourself what the difference is there? I mean, obviously you've written more now, so probably honing your craft as a writer, but is there anything else that, that you think made a difference or do you just think it's sometimes just down to right timing and all that sort of stuff? It's, it's, a, it's a really good question because I don't think quality-wise they were that different, um, the, the other ones I wrote. I think really it was a naivety on my part about me just thinking I'm going to write something really good Mm -hmm. and they'll definitely take it. And that's not how it works at all because the, the one that I wrote during the Curtis Brown course was kind of a mix between like kill your friends and Rocky, but it was like tennis Rocky. Nice. And it was, I mean, I'd buy that, but (laughs) apparently the publishing world wouldn't gentlemen <laughs> and i think the problem was it was kind of a black comedy and i i did a a podcast the other day with david kep mm-hmm. who kind of like screen right on jurassic park yeah. Blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. and he was saying that like black comedies don't sell no one wants black comedies he's written black comedies before and like they're almost impossible to market they're two just completely contradicting things obviously they do work like the cohen brothers are obviously brilliant at them but as a th- as a if you're trying to hit a sweet spot of what someone's going to take, don't write a black mm-hmm. comedy. So I just think with with this, it was like re- with Dying Squad, it was reasonably original. It kind of ap- appeals to crime fans, and it kind of appeals to fantasy fans. Um, so hopefully, it ticks enough boxes that you're going to sell enough books that it's going to be worthwhile. Did you? So- did you? When you turned to the, or in fact, with every new book that you were writing, when you were trying to find an agent, did you ever think, right, okay, what can I write that is more likely to hook an agent here? Or was it always just, this is the story I want to write now? Yeah, I I think I always thought this is a story I've got to write and it's got to be the way because you just, you you live this thing where you're working on it. You've got to like it and be committed to it and, um, I just think it doesn't work otherwise because the best case scenario is if you, if you write, you're going to be like super cynical and like, right, I'm going to write kind of a straight middle of the down, middle down the road police procedural mm-hmm. and you're not really into it. You think, well, is that really going to feel like victory when you do get that yeah. agent and the book deal? I mean, it will feel good. Don't get me wrong, but it won't be quite right. It won't be, this is what the story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And these people want to tell it. That That's the best thing in the world. I think if you're trying to do it a bit too cynically, one, that will probably show through um, unless you're a truly, truly brilliant writer and you can disguise it. And two, like, what's the point? Yeah. You know, like th- this is, this is the kind of, this is the joy and the passion while you're doing it. This is to get out of like the rat race and stuff. No, exactly. You know, if you do it, it's like, just like doing a, a kind of factory job. If you just, packaging it to what you think they're going to want and and yeah as we've said yeah it is it's like doing a sort of it becomes a normal normal in quotes job at that point but with poor, probably the worst rate of pay in the world <laughs> at that stage given how God, long that's it takes true. to write 
so so when you when you were finding i mean i, I assume this applies to all the books that, that you wrote when you're trying to find an agent did you go through the kind of usual process of just setting up the first three chapters cover letter synopsis type thing just over and over and over again i mean 150 people that's a lot that's a lot it of dedication is. it is yeah i mean i did exactly that i mean i i Sometimes with the Curtis Brown one, it helped because I'd been on that course and uh, you have like um, an end of end of uh, course drinks mm-hmm. and they get sent, they get agents get sent that. Um, so there were a couple of people that were interested based on that. Um, but the other two books, I mean, and, and mostly the that book, it was complete rejection. I mean, and, and and like a lot of people just not replying because, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you hear a lot of these stories and you think, oh, I got, you know, eight full manuscript requests on that book. So I knew it was on the right path. I mean, I did not get that at all <laughs> on those three books. I got sweet, sweet F.A. But with the Dying Squad, I, I got like six full manuscript re- requests within 24 hours of sending oh, wow. it out. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I, I knew I knew then I got a shot because there was obviously something in this that they saw and liked and knew they could sell because yep. that's mm-hmm. a hugely important part, obviously. And I suppose then the other question is when you were doing your going through these requests, did your process for the actual request change at all? Did your query letter approach change or anything like that? Sometimes I would headbutt the wall in frustration. <laughs> Sometimes I would put my fist through the monitor. It was really, really varied. I mean, there's only so much you can do, really. Yeah. You, you, I, I staggered it. You know, I never sent out 20 at once. Yeah. I had a list. I did a lot of research. I knew kind of roughly who should be interested in mm-hmm. this thing. I, I knew for, for the Dying Squad, I knew... I wanted uh, Harry Illingworth, who's my agent. I, I knew I wanted him. I knew he was the guy because I'd, and I, that was a bit different. And I got a bit lucky in that, in that he did, there was a pitch event where he was at. And uh, I, I went there and I knew, I knew it was important to pitch well at it. And it didn't mean he was going to take it on, but it was any like little thing where you can be a face mm-hmm. to the application yeah, is, in, is definitely really important. Um, and so I, I pitched quite decently there and then he remembered it when he, I sent it into him. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was almost like 48 hours after those, those six requests, you think in a way, this is almost enough, <laughs> even if it doesn't get published like this is so, it feels so good. This, yeah. this yeah. kind of, uh, recognition. Um, I'm glad it wasn't just it. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be saying that now, but yeah, at the and time. Then, I mean, I I wondered once you kind of got past that stage and you had you had the agent and you you know you'd and I want to chat about the edits and stuff, but but when you were when the book was going out to publishers, was it a difficult sell at that point? Because we we were chatting to James Oswald before and he mm. talked, he's kind of got a kind of crime supernatural series as well, and 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 he found it difficult to find a publisher who you know they're all like you know it's it's kind of a bit of both, but it's not either and they like things which you can package and put in a shelf and say this is a crime novel. I think he said as well his books now, even now if you picked them up and looked at the blurb, there isn't any hint that there's a supernatural yeah, it's thing very, going yeah, on. That's right, it's yeah. still marketed very much as a as a straightforward crime novel almost, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's another excellent question. I think it was there was, there was, there was loads of interest, but ultimately with a lot of people they said we just want to take 
the paranormal aspects out of it. It's just make. It's the whole it's point like, of the story. Yeah, it's kind of like. I mean, it is kind of about all these swearing ghosts. I mean, there's not going to be a lot left. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm not. Out. I mean, let me beat us in. Can you write a whole new book, please? I don't know. You can't exactly <laughs> just take it out and say, "Cool, yeah. it'll work fine without it." <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of you know that was that was not not a go, um. But Galantz were. I mean, it was super super fast from signing with Harry to selling the rights to Galantz. It was five weeks, I think. Oh wow! Nice, that is fast. Yeah. Crazy quick. You know, after all those kind of years of frustration, not getting anywhere. Um, it's, yeah, Galan's kind of just got it straight away. I mean, it's their kind of feel because they yeah. published like the yeah. Rivers of London book. So they, they, which was one of my comps. Um, they were like a perfect home for it. You couldn't design it much. But it's a good point about where it sits. It's definitely been a little bit of a problem for it, I think, in terms of selling it. I remember I went into the big foils uh, in London on when the paperback came out mm-hmm. and they got it in three sections. They got <laughs> it in crime. They got it in fantasy and they got it in horror. As well. And it's I mean, that's, like, that's, that's, that, that's quite good. Is it? Is that quite good? I, thing? I mean, I love that. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's exactly what I set out to achieve with those books, but I do think it makes selling it a little bit difficult at times, yeah. because if you're looking for straight crime and you pick it up, you might feel a bit cheated. Or if you're looking for too fantasy, though, this is a bit too crime. I love that it sits in those brackets and I think it sits comfortably in them. But, you know, not everyone will. Yeah. I, I didn't realise bookshops actually did that. Like, you know, actually put the same book in different sections. Me neither. I yeah, I'd never heard that before. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. I mean, if they're going to do either going to put it in one section rather than yeah. in all of them, if they're, if they're unsure which, which one it goes into, put it in both. That's, yeah. That makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. And obviously, I'm just grateful that it's in bookshops. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, I know totally, totally. I'm definitely not going to get too pissy with them, but actually. <laughs> So, find. so if if it was if it was five weeks, you know, the very quick sell from the agent to the publisher at that point, presumably, it was a very cle- by that stage a very clean draft that you've given Harry at that stage. Do you have many changes for you to make at all? No, it it was more just kind of like expand on the world building, kind of explain this a bit more, expand this a little bit more, um, and Galance as well. I mean. I really love the editing process. I know some people don't enjoy it. I really like it. I think if you've got a good editor that's going to challenge you, that's it only makes the book better. And like, it's always uh, Rachel Winterbottom as my editor at Glance. She always finds the bits that I kind of know are bullshit. But I've just <laughs> tried to write really convincingly <laughs> to cover it up. Yeah. And she says, yeah, that, that, that doesn't, doesn't work. You need to change that. She, and, and I think good editing as well, you don't want the person to tell you what to change it to. You just want them to flag yeah. it and maybe suggest directions you can take it in. And I think there's always, in the two books, that are, the first two I've gone through the editing process, there's always been one big thing that's changed, um, which I think is a good sign of a good sign of an editor. And, and yeah, so I mean, you've never had the, the moment of seeing someone want to change something, whether it's an agent or... Or a publishing and thinking mm, they just that's not I don't want to do that and have to have an awkward conversation or, or just like, try to ignore it and stuff. It's always been quite. You've always been kind of on yeah, the same level definitely, definitely. I mean, I the, the the publishing process with Glance has been fantastic to the point where like a lot of the horror stories you hear of like you know you didn't get don't get any say on the cover or anything like that. I mean, they gave me loads of chance to have input on that, and I even like knocked up a a kind of ideal one of uh, on. In, photoshop and send it over to them 
And she said, like, normally this would be like my idea of hell. A right, a right at doing this. <laughs> Let me do it. Yeah, I'd like be tearing up the contract <laughs> in front of you. Um, but it, it was, they, they then used that in the package. They, they couldn't have been more inclusive and respectful like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's, yeah, it's a special thing if you can get that. Yeah, that that's quite unique because, yeah, the, I think we have had authors telling us about, you know, that they just didn't have the, the input into the covers yeah. and stuff. So, um, and, you know, w- with the book coming out like that and the publishing process as a whole, having gone through the sort of release of your work in both the film industry and in the publishing industry, how how do they compare? Well, I mean, I think the book the book industry is more those people loads of people to do stuff for you. Whereas because the film one was lower budget and I was having to do pretty mm. much everything on it. A lot of the times on set, but also kind of, you know, you're packaging it up to the festivals, you're going to the festivals, all these sort of things. With with publishing, yeah. there's more of a team, um, and it's a big team, and they're all experts, and they do this for a living, and they kind of. It, it's been a big change, and there's just so many. There's so so many more opportunities in terms of publishing. It's interesting that though, because when you think of the industries, you would, or certainly I would always say, think anyway that the film industry is the more collaborative um, mm-hmm. process. And the, the the publishing industry is the more solitary one until yeah you need an agent you need an editor obviously but other than that you're kind of on your own but it, it almost sounds the opposite. I think I case. think if I was making Top Gun Maverick, it <laughs> yeah, would okay. it yeah, would yeah. be yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you you can't really just make that one on your own. But that certainly like you know I made a kind of like a mockumentary uh, and like a boxing film and we did have crew on the boxing film and there were obviously a lot of actors but certainly once you finished it you know i i edited it i graded it and then i was responsible for getting it out there um which is fine but i mean i quite happily let someone else do all those things you know like the the (laughs) writing thing it's been really nice to have like a team of people Mm -hmm. and they were just emailed to say oh we've got you this festival or whatever is a joy that the novelty is nowhere near worn off yet on that and what does does the past experience of writing scripts and even now still using that as a, as a process um, occasionally does that you know does that help with the speed at which you write you know how quickly does it take you to get a get a first draft done? Well, this this fourth book I've written, which is not in the Dying Squad series, it's like a standalone. Right. Okay. I wrote I wrote that in two months, I think. And that was a little bit different. Yes. I wrote it between the second and third Dying Squad books and it was in 2020 and we'd come out of lockdown. So the kids were back at school. And so I got all this time again and I, I wrote it like almost like a frenzy because mm. it had been so awful <laughs> the yeah. months leading up to it. I, I can knock out a decent draft in about three months. Dying Squad's been a bit different and the third book was a bit different because obviously you've got like storylines and threads from yeah. the other two which in a way it's it's good because you've built the world and the characters, but then you're having to try and tie everything up and that definitely slows you down. It's like I mean you when you're when you're writing a series 
um, of books that are all kind of interconnected and stuff and there's threads that are going on. How much planning do you do in terms of I'll leave this for book or set this up for book two or I want to put the seat to something for book three or is it a case of just where am I going to go take this? I, I'm kind of now? constantly cursing like me of a year ago yeah. when I'm writing these things. <laughs> like I really, God, Adam, Adam, 2020 Adam really stitched up at 2021 Adam here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is i kind of like i have this like weird thing of like it's all there and you're just chipping away at, it at different times so you'll always get to the same point um it, but it's it does make it harder but then i think if i if i sat down in terms of those books and plan them all out because i know some people do you know they, they planned all like the yeah. duffer brothers are supposed, supposedly yeah. planned out five series of stranger things um i definitely did not do that and I don't really want to do it. It kind of goes back to before. Like I want to be surprised when I'm writing it. And it's also that feeling of achievement and miracle that when you are writing, you think, wow, this really does tie up. This does work. Probably quite lucky that it does, but it does. I wouldn't want to lose that. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I do love that. Just say that. I do love that moment when you kind of get near the end. You think actually these plot points can meet in this way, which you hadn't ever thought. But and suddenly everything ties up so neat, and it feels like it's always meant to do that. And it's just you know whether it's luck or subconscious or whatever. But yeah, it's a it's it is, a and there's moment. like magic to it. I mean, it is there is like a real little bit of magic to that. Um, it's yeah. when we, it does feel like when when writing goes well, it does feel a little bit a little bit like witchcraft. And so you kind yeah. of you, I don't feel you don't get that in the same if you like regimentally planning it all chapter by chapter. But you do whatever you work whatever works for you. I'm sure that worked for a lot of people. No, I I, th- I think that's probably right, but I I do I, I do wonder, like, do you ever have, you know, thoughts of like, you know, if if this gets to a six or at some point, not book six particularly, but at some point in the future that might happen or this might happen. Do you have thoughts like that at all, or do you genuinely not have any thoughts as to the future when you're? No, I I right? do. I mean. So basically the deal was for three books with Galans for these Dying Squad books. So I kind of, I, I, I tie it up in this third book and I leave scope for maybe more, hmm. but I want, it was important to me to kind of tie it up. I didn't want it just left dangling because, yeah. you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen when you sign the first book, whether there's going to be any more. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. it was important to me to, to, to kind of wrap it up and make this kind of a trilogy, which I've done. It does, I have got an idea of what I do for a fourth, um, which I think, and like a vague idea for a fifth, a very vague idea, but we'll see. You almost, it's it's difficult. You almost don't want to think too much about it in case it doesn't happen because it kind of gets them painful because you've kind of written it in your head. Um, I found that with music videos, directing music videos, you would pitch for quite a lot of stuff and like give quite a detailed treatment. And it killed me when I didn't get to do it because you think, well, I've made this now. Like in my yeah. head, this is done. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah. Uh, creatively, I just want to get it to show people. Um, but I think it's it's a good idea to have a vague idea where it might go in the future. But yeah, certainly for a trilogy, I think you have to have a, like an inkling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say, I always wondered that about music videos when you know. As someone who's made them, is the way is the way it works is that you basically do you hear them hear the song, and then you have an idea for what the video would be, and you plan it all out, and then you submit it, and the band gets all these submissions from different people, and they pick yeah the one they like the best pretty, pretty much yeah. I mean, to me, in terms of how I would do it, I would like listen to the song 
a certain amount of time and the song would tell me what to do with it. And I liked, I didn't really like performance videos because I think they're quite dull. So I, I, I made them like little short films, really. It's also a great way of, of learning to write that because you've got basically three minutes to tell a yeah. story, begin, minute, and end. It makes yeah. it so tight. Um, but yeah, that's ultimately how it works. I mean, you you put together a treatment, you pitch it, and then they go for it or not. The bu- the budgets are so tiny now in music videos; it's so difficult to do them. It's it's also amazing how many big names got their start mm. making music videos. Like I'm sure it's like Zack Snyder, absolutely. Or not kind of start. It's a, it's a great those, ground, yeah. and obviously, when you're making videos on that scale, like it's just getting you used to being on big sets with a lot of crew mm-hmm. all there for you. You know, the process is still the same as making making a film. It is a really good grounding in that respect. And and yes. I've I've read that you said that you don't really have a writing routine as such. You, there isn't a there isn't a perfect way to, to you know, start at nine AM and, and write till two or whatever. What what do you just try and find time during the day and, and get the writing done that you can? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my ideal writing day would be I would go to a cafe somewhere. There's like a few that I go to, a few of my favourites. I would, in general, prefer to do it in the morning. I like, you know, if I'm going to go to the run of the gym, I like to do it in the morning, get it out of the way. It's kind of the same with writing. I find I write my best stuff in the morning. I've got kind of young kids, so I can't really do like all-nighters anymore writing. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't, it's not practical. And I find it's kind of like hovering in your subconscious if you don't get it done early in the morning. It's always at the back of your mind, you need to do this. But I'm quite disciplined on it. Like I'll, if I've got like a very vaguely like four or five hours, I would expect to do like 1,500 to 2,000 words. Um, just because there's so many, been so many times in my life where I've not had that stretch of time. Yeah, I just feel when I, I have it, I've got to take advantage of it. Um. I mean, you guys will know yourself, like sometimes it's a slog, you know, you turn up, it's like doing any job. It's like, oh, God, I can't be asked today. It's like it's each word's fighting you and you're just yeah. dicking around on the internet. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's, yeah, there's so much more attention for your time that, that we're looking for. So much more stuff clamoring for you for your time. Like you say, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got three hours free. I could, I could do, I sit down and do, so do, do some writing or I could play some Elden <laughs> Ring or I could watch a movie or, you know, I could muck about the internet for three hours. And it's, it, that's for me is the biggest problem with myself is, is, is having but, the, yeah, it's having I, the I, discipline I to say, no, I need to write now. Not necessarily a routine or even a, a target or anything like that, but I, I find that it's a, it, like with many things, it's like go to the gym or something, but if you can get it into a habit, if mm-hmm. you can just, then yeah, it totally, becomes, yeah less of a slog in a way sometimes and and yeah and i often find that yeah there will be moments when you're writing something that it's a slog but once you have got into that process it that it's fun that's why we do it we enjoy it and 100 you know, and it's you know like i've done crappy jobs it is not a crappy job yeah. right and it is complete privilege to do it um yeah it just some days it comes easy some days it doesn't but you you get to the end by being able to deal with both those sort of days, I guess. So, would you ever want to go back to working in the film industry? You would want to write another script and film it, or is that? I probably, um... I definitely want to um, write scripts as well. Um, I yeah. probably wouldn't do it on making it myself in terms of me having to hustle all the money up and stuff. I, I kind of with my last film, Kid Gloves, 
I felt I'd reached the limit of what I could do with that. So I, I did some crowdfunding for it and we had a good festival run and it, it got some good reviews. It got VOD release, but I kind of, and it got like a, a festival uh, in, in LA. We got the premiere there and everything, but I kind of felt like this is Brilliant. as far as I can go doing it like this, mm-hmm. you know, scrabbling for favors, selling yourself yeah. to get it made um it was one of the and it's it's quite frustrating because you know you you're constrained by budgets and circumstance so yeah i mean moving into to script is something i would love to do which is one of the reasons why i've been working on these these two i guess we'll have to see what happens yeah. we shall see and and um yes. as you say you've you've got the the dying squad trilogy is 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 written um are you focusing on sort of standalones going forward or i mean obviously there's ideas for potential future dying squad stories as well yeah i mean it'd be great to do a bit of a mix really i, I, I definitely yeah. whatever i do even if even if there were more dying squad ones i, I would definitely try and write a standalone alone in between them mm-hmm. it really worked doing that between books two and three because i think you need a chance to miss the characters i think if you're doing it if you've got nothing, nothing to kind of cleanse the palate between them, it just becomes a little bit stale. So even if it's just for me, I'll definitely write a standalone. I know what the next standalone would be as well, which is one of the scripts I've done. Um, I think that's important. I think keeping it fresh is one of the hardest things to do in a series. I think it's easier in something like the dying squad, because I have such a big sandbox to play with in terms of there are these paranormal yeah uh, elements and you can let your imagination go a little bit wild but still keeping it full of like good ideas will be the challenge as it goes on i, I think I've, I've done that with the first three if there are any more that will be the the main order of business for me it's hard because people expect a certain type of story you know they, if they enjoy the dance squad books they will be like oh cool i'll buy a dance squad number four because i expect it'll have xyz and you want to give them what they want but you also want to change it up and challenge yourself and, and keep it interesting and that's that balance it, yeah it, it is i think i've been helped a little bit because i've almost written these the first three in a cocoon so this, the second one was kind of finished before the first one came out and like the third one i was writing just as the first one was coming out so it's not like you know i've got millions of people on goodreads demanding <laughs> I change it. <laughs> Not yet. It's like, it's at the start. So I've written it in a bit of a cocoon. Yeah. I think it must be really hard as it goes on and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, particularly when it's adapted. It must be so hard for you just not to write in the actor's voice. It must be so hard to block oh, yeah. that out. Yeah. I always think that about yeah. kind of established things like that. But so I'm not at that stage. I've been protected from that a little bit. We'll see in the future. Um, I mean, that must be why Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. we're That's never going to classic see that, example. That it's a great, it's a great example. Great example. <laughs> and and what about you? You said you started this conversation by by telling us about a uh, comics that you had done when you were mm. a kid. Would, would you ever want to write a graphic novel or a comic or anything like that? I'd, lo- I'd love to have a bash at that. The, the first film, actually, and the superhero. I I knew a local comic book guy and comic book writer, and he he did some. I did like a little. Uh, origin story for one of the characters and i wrote that and he turned that into comic book form i'd love that opportunity that would be great i've kind of fallen out a little bit with graphic novels over the last few years my brothers both read a lot um but yeah i mean i'd love 
You have to be certifiably insane to turn down that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic world it to would. get into. I think just be so much fun. It's, it's sort of the mix between the two, isn't it? As well, novels and film, because you've got that scope. Yeah. you can go for a bigger the kind of visual... scope than you would in a film because you don't have to worry about budget and things like that. I suppose. A- absolutely, yeah. I mean, one thing I'd say on graphic novels as well, and they they really taught me how to write dialogue graphic novels. I definitely. Yeah, you know, like you say, and they have very, they have a very small space to say a lot. I think anyone who wants to learn dialogue just grab a load of great graphic novels. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I always think think the Bendis stuff. He was just, it was just speech bubbles lasting for pages, but it was always there's a kind of lyrical stuff to, or a Sorkin, yeah, that back and forth that he did really well and. And and you know when you when you read a Bendis comic, right? It's going to be a lot of talking, and that was fine. And 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 yeah, it, you're right. It it's so it teaches so much about how people talk or how they don't actually talk in real life. Yeah, how they kind of fake talk. Yeah, kind of hyper is, hyper normal sort of way. Yeah. What was the last book that you read? The last book that I read, I'm actually halfway through it, is Sundial. Uh, oh. By Catriona Ward. Oh, so good! It's so good. I, but I've her in a, the last book, Last House on Needless Street. It always feels like as a uh, a writer, she's poking you and keeping you just a little bit off balance. You don't know where this thing is going. You just know it's nowhere good. It's yeah. nowhere good. Yeah, this yeah. sense of like decay Fantastic. and dread in the pages. She's a brilliant writer. Very work. Very worthy of all her yeah. success. Um, what about the last film that you watched? The last film I watched was Elvis, actually. Oh, was it good? I oh, absolutely good? loved it. I loved it. I was, I would, I'd had a massive night out the night before, so I was feeling quite, quite hungover <laughs> and emotional when I saw it. I was like crying within three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's like because biopics are so often just like bad wigs yeah. and bad yeah. cover versions, but yeah. this isn't yeah. that at yeah. all. Um, it's easily one of the best biopics. I mean, it's obviously rich territory to go into. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is yeah. one of those films you need to see that on a big ass screen with a massive loud sound system. Yeah. I have to say, watching the trailer for that film, I, I remember thinking Elvis stuff looked fantastic, but the Tom Hanks stuff seems so out of place in the trailer. And I've not seen this in the film yet, but does it, does it work in the context of the I film? I think or it does... works. I think it works, the Tom Hanks. It, it, I definitely didn't feel it wasn't working when I was watching it. I agree it jars a little bit okay. in the trailer. Um, but once you kind of get used to the rhythm of the way he talks and how he looks, he does a great job, actually. Yeah, I think maybe it was get a speech that he was doing. That was like, it kept pulling me out of it. Yeah, because apparently weird. that's how he talked, really. Like, the American accent was kind of put on and oh, right, okay. um, in real life. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I very yeah. much recommend it. Excellent. Nice. Uh, and what about the TV show that you're watching or have watched recently? I just watched the last one last night, The Lazarus Project. Oh, yeah. Is it any good? Oh, I've not yeah, yeah. Is it yet. good? Absolutely cracking, cracking watch. Um, That's the Sky drama, right? It's a Sky drama, drama, yeah, written by Joe yeah. Barton. Um, I really like some of his the films he's written. Um, it's super smart. It's time travel, but so it kind of makes your brains leak out from your ears. But not too bad. Like, it's not ten yeah. in it bad, yeah. where you're just like, it's incomprehensible. Yeah. That was too way it, too. Much it was, money. and like no, you didn't like, hear what they were saying. Either. You couldn't hear what they were saying. <laughs> also, you didn't care. I, yeah. I think I think some yeah. fil- the, 
um, Lazarus project is so well done that you're willing to let it go when you don't quite understand what's going on. I think it's a good set of a good time travel movie. Like I don't quite get it, but I'm I'm confident enough. I'll just enjoy it. I'll exactly. It's fine. Yeah. But I it, most of it yeah. was understandable. It was really well done. It was like a good take on it. Um, 100 worth watching. Excellent. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Tenant felt like a massive misfire mm. to me, and as you say, just. I remember watching it being like, I can't, I just don't understand. And why is everyone wearing brown? <laughs> have you, have you ever watched Primer? I have watched Primer. Oh, yeah. I've watched Primer. That's I mean, complicated. Because that's complicated. Because that, that's a great example, actually. I really enjoyed it. I don't understand anything. Yeah. Exactly, anything. Yeah. Yes, totally. But totally. I just, I remember watching the first half being like, I think I'm following. And then it's like, we took a time machine into the time machine. And I was like, <laughs> I'm done. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's well done. Uh, but, the uh, the very very last thing we do uh, super quick fire either or um, no right answer apart from one so we'll start off with writing books or writing films writing books uh, TV or cinema cinema uh, night owl or early bird early bird unfortunately early bird. <laughs> uh, music or no music when you're a writing. million percent music nice so you go for like tone. Like yeah, it, like it, sounds, it depend. Or? Yeah, I would usually kind of before I start writing something, I'll put together a playlist. It will usually be soundtracks, but often it'd be like electronic music, um, a bit of balls of Canada or something like that. Um, but yeah, with words, don't really work. I find them yeah. too distracting. But yeah, I have to have music. Yeah, have to yeah have music. and do you? Because I've heard some people, you know, if they're writing a particular type of scene, they'll put on a particular. You know, if it's an action scene, they'll put. A, music come from an action film or something like that, do you do I, that I, sort of thing? I did i mean what one when the generation killer there was a high scene that i was trying to nail and um i love heat and the, the kind of high scene from that i couldn't get this scene right so what i actually did was i took the the track the track from heat and i took also tick of the clock by the chromatics which is in drive oh yeah and yeah, i yeah. kind of mixed them together so i kind of scored the scene and then i wrote to the scene brilliant and it's such a good way of cool. doing it. It took. It was worth the effort of doing that because yeah. it kind of just clicked how I had to write it. So yeah, writing's really important. Uh, music's that, really important. When that's good because that could have just been a classic procrastination type thing. To do. <laughs> that, that's the sort of thing I would do. Yeah. I, very I watched Heat yeah. and then yeah, I watched exactly. Drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still couldn't crack the scene. Possibly several times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and the last one, real book or ebook? I know this is your like bet noir. Mate. Oh, I know it is. It's not a good start. I, I, I will go. I'll go real book. But there's definitely oh. places for ebook. I, if, if I could have a, a third one, audio book. Yeah. I've massively yeah, got yeah, into yeah, those yeah. lately. Yeah. Um. So I'm not I'm not wedded to the the physical thing, but I still prefer real books. Sorry, man. Sorry. Fair enough. No, no, it's fine. It's fair enough. I we no, were... uh, audio books are you really. Well to that point, uh, I, I suppose it is with the pandemic and stuff, maybe. But mm. uh, over the past couple of years, I've really got into audio books a lot, actually. Yeah, same. Just an easier way, and also the fact that I fall asleep within about two minutes when I try and read in bed. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find I can I can read a book and listen to an audio book at the same time, whereas reading two books, I struggle. Yeah, with. yeah, that's. So, it's a nice way to kind of get yeah, into booking. Yeah, it's true. Course, isn't it? It's true. Oh, that was a really fun chat. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. And a really interesting process he has of of almost treating it like a script, you know, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, as he was saying, you can get through a script much more quickly. And I suppose yeah. it would highlight 
you know, it would give you the basic structure for the story that you want to yeah. do. Obviously, the book you're you're fleshing it out and things like that. But um, if you're if you've got that skill and know how to do that, then it's not a bad idea. Um, in yeah. terms of does this story work? Because you can get to the end of it much more quickly. Yeah, and it almost seems like a kind of halfway house between between a between planning out something and just writing it. You know, it's it's a bit more in, in depth than a plan is, but you're still you still feel that you're writing it. So you're still mm-hmm. maybe that kind of for me the boredom aspect of planning things out too closely. You, maybe you lose that because it actually feels you're still creating something because it's, it's still it's still a script rather than, rather than a plan. I do like that idea. I might give that a try. Yeah, no, it's it's a good idea. So, um, yeah, and as Tarek said at the start of the podcast, uh, The Generation Killer, which is the second book in the Dying Squad series, is uh, now out. It just came out yesterday at the time of the episode going out. So um, we'll put a link in the podcast description so you can pick that up or head to your friendly local bookshop to pick that up. And The, the Dying Squad itself, you know, brilliant pitch. You know, oh, it's a, such a, a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, a cop investigating his own murder. Is, yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah. one of these pitches you just think that yeah. that will sell itself. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much to Adam for coming on to the podcast. Um, and next week we've got another great guest. Yeah, next week we're chatting with the... Uh, Kasim Ali, whose debut novel Good Intentions is a kind of I guess it's a modern take on a Muslim love story set in modern day UK yeah. and it's a it's a kind of a story that he said you know, it, it draws to mind things like The Big Sick um, which is a kind of a, a bit of a thorny issue um, for him because yeah. he says it's kind of a story which he's never really felt had been properly tackled yet Yeah, he, I think yeah, yeah, you know, that discussion about representation I suppose mm-hmm. and he was saying that he doesn't think any of these things have really captured his experience. Yes, um, exactly. So that's why he wanted to wanted to write this. Um, and obviously it's been successful. It's been nominated for prizes and things like that. So he he also works in publishing himself. So we chat yep. a bit about that as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting chat that we had with Kazim. Yeah. So it's got a very interesting do... uh, planning style. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, please do uh, tune in for that one. And then if you enjoyed this episode, I will ask if you could spare a couple of minutes just to give us a rating and review on your podcast app and also make sure you're subscribed and following and like us and all these sorts of things because that really helps us in terms of uh, staying in the charts. And of course, if anyone has any questions or comments, they can always get in touch with us by sending us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one. Or they can send us an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. But otherwise, um, have a great week and we'll speak to you next episode. See you later.